So we couldn't be more grateful today to be with Rian Doris. He is the, the co-founder of Flow Research Collective. It's really about the neuropsychology of, of peak performance. I'm lucky enough to, to actually be in the, the program right now, Rian, and, and appreciate everything that I'm learning, the incredible research that was done, but also the, the guidance and structures that you've put forth are making a tremendous difference in my peak performance. So I, I, I wanted to thank you for that, but also welcome you to Thinking Edge. Thank you so much for having me, Ed. I appreciate it. And it's been just a joy to, to get to know you a little bit and to hear about the, the positive impact that our training has had. Yeah, absolutely. And along with the, the program, The Art of Impossible from Stephen Kotler has been a tremendous help as well. And, and just love the, the content of you know, both the program and the, the book itself. So again, thank you so much. And I, I'd love to start off super fast here and and give you a, a typical day of an executive me uh, before the program, but it would be, I wake up at five o'clock, look forward to my workout, which sometimes gets incredibly disrupted. I'm unable to do that because I look at the traffic and the traffic is caught up and I need to make a, an eight o'clock meeting. So I head into the, the office, my hour commute, a little over an hour commute, jump on a call right away, take a look at my calendar. I'm generally triple, if not double booked all day until, until seven o'clock, which, you know, get out another hour commute home, get home, have dinner with the family, 8.30, then, then put it on repeat for the next day, which might be Tuesday. And, and by Friday, I am not myself. I'm not making decisions the way I should be, I'm, you know, heading towards burnout, look forward to that end anchor of the, the weekend and spend most of the time, you know, recovering actually. Rian, I'd love to know from you, what's, what's wrong with that picture? Sure. I love that. I love that breakdown. It's a fun way to, to phrase a question. So I'll um, comment on a few different pieces that you mentioned. So you mentioned, first off, waking up at five o'clock. My immediate question there would be around sleep quantity and sleep quality. Most people just do not get enough sleep. Shock horror. And the impact that it has is generally very, very significantly underestimated. One of the things that we emphasize in our training and in our work with high-performing executives is that you actually, you have no idea the extent to which fatigue induced by a lack of sleep quantity or quality may be holding you back. The example I always like to use is that you don't know if the breakthrough idea that would 10x your business or alter your career or life did not emerge because of the fact that you were fatigued. You have no idea around what creativity or potential or what breakthroughs are being suppressed and actually not emerging because of a lack of sleep. So that'd be my first, my first question. And then you mentioned having dinner at, at eight or nine that night also, which was confirmation that there's definitely an issue there with sleep quantity, because ideally you are going to bed nine hours before your wake up time. If you want to get eight hours sleep, you got to be in bed for nine hours. Super simple, but a good heuristic to use. So that would mean that you'd want to be in bed at eight p.m., which would mean that you would want to be eating at about 6 p.m. so that you've got at least two hours to digest before sleep. Otherwise, sleep quality is going to be impinged upon. The next thing you mentioned was the fact that you try to get a workout in, but the commute and the reactivity made it not possible. 
So there, one of the things that we recommend is, especially for really, really high performing or at least executives who are under very high demands, having a non-negotiable morning routine or priming ritual of some kind that is engaged upon immediately upon waking so that it truly is non-negotiable is really, really crucial there. Because otherwise, one click into Slack, one swipe of your email app can blow open your whole day and unlock a reactive state that isn't resolved some, for some people for you know 14 hours, literally. So before doing anything, having some kind of a priming ritual to get your nervous system into a good place is going to be really important. That can look like exercise, as you mentioned, the workout example. Maybe it's active meditation through the form of breath work. Maybe it is mindfulness. Maybe it's journaling. Maybe it's walking. Maybe it's just reflecting on, on the day that's ahead. But having some sort of intentional time to prime your state and your physiology before engaging in work that is going to result in reactivity is really important. And then you mentioned the fact that there's lots of back-to-back -back meetings. My question there would be, what is the actual efficacy of those meetings in the first place before trying to improve them, asking if they are even needed is the first thing I would do and whether or not what is being accomplished on those meetings can be accomplished asynchronously. Huge amount of meetings are redundant. Some research shows that up to 30% of meeting time is totally redundant and duplicate work. So I would question the, the need for those meetings at all. Then the next thing I would question is a commute. And now obviously one of the benefits of COVID for a lot of people has been the fact that commutes have gotten removed. And you mentioned in that example that I think it was two hours were taken up with commute time. And this is something we really, really emphasize to clients is rather than optimizing things, first try to eliminate things. And we often jump to trying to improve before we question those things in the first place. So rather than trying to improve your day around the commute, I would try and completely remove the commute if it is an impingement. And that may mean a negotiation with a boss or different stakeholders. It may mean moving house to live closer to your work if that's a, a fixed situation or may mean changing your work up entirely but i would try and remove a commute if that's two hours in your day that's a very very significant percentage of your entire working day that is allocated to something that is less optimal than it could be and then the next thing i was going to mention was the desire to relax on the weekends and this brings us to an important distinction between relaxation and recovery so relaxation, things that are relaxing do not necessarily yield recovery. It's relaxing to kick your feet up, scroll through Instagram and half watch a couple of episodes of whatever new Netflix TV show there is, but it is not actually going to recover you. And similarly, things that result in recovery are often not relaxing at all. Like, for example, jumping into an ice bath can be, you know, one of the one of the least relaxing things you can you can possibly imagine. Yet the shift that it's going to result in in, in your, your nervous system and your physiology is going to be very significant and result in recovery. So I, I think differentiating between what's relaxing, what actually results in recovery 
and then going for the recovery option first before relaxing and knowing that relaxing is not going to recover you would be the other the other important tweak that I would make there. I love the structure. And I think one of the things that, that was key for learning for me is that this is a, a system. If you apply one, two or three of the, these things, it's, it's great. But if you can systematize this, you know, by the time, if you're starting on Monday and ending on Friday, by Friday, you feel like you've been in flow. You feel like you've actually conquered the week, so to speak. And that you can head into that active, you know, recovery and that recovery enables you for the next, next week. Um, so I, I really think about this as a, a system. I think it was one of the key, you know, learnings for me is think about your work week, your work day, your hours that you spend as, as a system and how do you optimize that system around you and what it takes to, to perform at your highest level. Right. Exactly. Thinking of it as a system is, is really helpful. And I think one of the important elements of that is aiming for automaticity and habituation and aiming to make these things automatic parts of, of how you operate so that there is not conscious effort or conscious exertion required in doing a morning ritual or an evening routine or you know whatever the practice or habit may be, but that it's just part of daily operation in the same way that showing up for your work calls is. I think that's a really important piece. That's great. And then Rian, do you, do you think of this as a, there's almost a meta system around it in terms of thinking about your, your long-term goals or your long-term purpose, and then thinking about almost reverse engineering that into, you know, what you are doing during that day and, and able to make those kind of trade-off decisions to say, is this really important to me? now today this week type of thing how do you think about that meta system overall yeah that's great it's a great question so there is a number of things that are not necessarily habits or actions that would be done daily but that are overall things that are ideally put in place in life which are going to then improve your performance within your more specific daily actions so i'll give i'll give a couple of of examples of this so one example is, is strengths. So there's a lot of great research out of positive psychology that shows that strengths are a trigger for flow states. So if you are engaged in activities that align with your strengths, your likelihood of being able to access peak performance is significantly increased. There's also a lot of research from Gallup and other groups that show that a strengths-based approach to your professional life and work is superior than other approaches, like, for example, identifying weaknesses and attempting to balance yourself out by tuning up or training weaknesses. In general, doubling and tripling down on your strengths is what yields the best performance, and creating an environment that allows you to do that is what yields the best performance and the most access to flow which obviously then yields more performance. And there's a couple of things on this. First off, it ends up becoming a feedback loop where once you identify your strengths and those things that are natural to you, we often refer to them as invisible skills. They're the things you're so good at that you don't even think you're good at them because they are so innate that you have no conscious awareness of you being good at those things. So very paradoxically, your strengths can be some of the hardest attributes for you to 
find for yourself. But when you're, when you're playing to your strengths and your invisible skills, as I mentioned, your access to flow, the flow state increases. And that means that you're going to spend more time because flow is an autotelic state. It's a state that is an end in itself that is extremely pleasurable and enjoyable. It means that you're going to spend more time doing those things that get you into flow, which is then going to make you better and better at those things. So your strengths tend to compound in a circular fashion where you're good at something. So you get into flow doing it. So you do it more. So you get even better at it. So you get into flow even more doing it and around and around and around it goes. And when you can get those sorts of compounding flywheels set up in your work and life, things can really start to effectively take off. So that's one of the first big important pieces of the meta game is is identifying your strengths which is a, a long and, and can be a challenging process and then building your life and your career around it and that may mean making big changes that take years to fully implement but that are absolutely going to be worth it on the whole another part of the the sort of meta system that is not necessarily day to day but that's something you want to get in place overall is having what we call your intrinsic motivational stack aligned. So there's two forms of motivation, extrinsic motivation, being motivated by something as a means to an end, and then intrinsic motivation, being motivated by something as an end in itself. The problem with extrinsic motivation is that we tend to, especially if we're peak performers, we tend to reach that end. And that means that when we reach that end, whether it's money, whether it's status, whether it's a certain, you know, number of Instagram followers or whatever it is, our motivation evaporates and goes off a cliff. You see this all the time with entrepreneurs. They hit a certain income threshold and a certain level of financial security. And the motivation that they had, which was extrinsic and driven by hitting that goal, evaporates and they can't drive themselves to work. So what we want is an intrinsic source of motivation, a fuel source that is not tied to something external because it is infinite. It is about working or being engaged in something as an end in itself. There, it's an infinite game. There is no point at which we you know, have hit a certain threshold and are then demotivated and want to check out. And there's five key elements of intrinsic motivation. So passion, number one, purpose number two curiosity is number three autonomy is number four and mastery is number five so passion is your love for the thing purpose is the impact that that thing has on others passions about you purpose is about others curiosity is a sense of fascination and desire to learn and explore that thing more into deeper levels autonomy is essentially a fancy fancier word for freedom it is about having control and room to decision make and steer and then mastery is the ability for you to infinitely progress at something and what we want is a professional life where passion, purpose, curiosity, autonomy, and mastery are all maxed out. And what happens when that's the case is we can tap into extremely powerful intrinsic motivation. What also ends up happening 
is that our access to flow increases because all of these intrinsic motivators I mentioned are also triggers for flow, especially autonomy, passion, purpose. And so similarly to the compounding feedback loop with our strengths, what ends up happening here is that if we get our intrinsic motivators aligned, we get a work setup or a business or a career path that we're passionate about, that feels purposeful, that we're curious about, where we have autonomy and that we can achieve mastery within, we then end up with extreme intrinsic motivation, which results in flow. And what flow does is increase intrinsic motivation because again, flow is autotelic. It is desirable as an end in itself. So we end up then getting more intrinsic motivation as a result of these intrinsic motivators. And it goes around and around like that where we get increased access to flow and then increased motivation and then increased access to flow and then increased motivation by aligning our, our intrinsic motivators. And there's one other piece I'll mention with respect to the meta system. And this is having what we call a massively transformative purpose. And this relates to the purpose aspect of intrinsic motivation that we just touched on. So massively transformative purpose is a phrase that Stephen Kotler, my business partner at the Flow Research Collective, and his writing partner, uh, Peter Diamandis, who's the founder of XPRIZE, came up with. And it refers to an infinite North Star that you have for the impact that you want to have on the world within your life. It is not achievable. It's like a mission statement for your life that is infinite and can be realized to um, an infinite extent. Like, you know, an, exa an example of, of something that is infinite in this sense may be health. You can always get healthier. It's not necessarily an example of an MTP, but it's infinite in that same sense. And when you have your MTP defined and clear, and when you have goals set that are reverse engineered all the way down from that infinite North Star of your MTP, your performance also improves very, very significantly for a number of different reasons. One is that clear goals that trigger for flow, so we're able to access flow more consistently. And then there are also other more simple strategic reasons that when we are you know, explicit and clear in terms of our, our goals, especially over the long term, our ability to make decisions and take actions that is going to lead to those goals in an effective way for obvious reasons increases significantly. So we become better at strategy and taking actions that are actually going to produce those goals. So I'll, I'll leave it there. Hopefully that for now gives some, gives some color to the, the meta system. And I'd really love to know, you've probably seen hundreds, if not thousands of folks seeking flow in, in, in different ways. And I think of almost the ultimate flowy person would be a snowboarder, right? They love their craft, they're super passionate about it, always looking to get better. They've, they've mastered it to some degree or another. So flow actually in that context makes complete sense. Hey, I, I was in flow. I, I, you know, went down my, my, uh, mountain and conquered it. It was beautiful, you know, and then I kind of shift to the right a little bit and say, you know, entrepreneur, they probably know what flow is or a coder in a, in a startup knows what flow is because your, your mission, your purpose, your, your, your passions are aligned around a, a cause, whatever that cause may be. And if I shift far right, 
I think about someone in a, in a large enterprise, right? How would you kind of advise someone that is seeking to be that corporate athlete, that is seeking that flow within an enterprise? You've probably seen folks like this. How would you advise them? What are the three things that you'd say to, to start with to become that corporate athlete? And it, and it could reflect back on the, the meta system or, or others, but what would you recommend to them? How would you advise them to, to get into that flow state? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. I like the the spectrum of flow there. The, the the answer, unfortunately, is it depends. It depends on what the external environment is. In some environments, they are so poor, they block flow to such an extreme extent that my advice would just be just get yourself out of that environment, no matter what it takes, even if it involves, you know, going back to university or whatever it requires. Um, uh, but <laughs> in certain in certain cases, that is. But in general, I think what's what's helpful to mention is that the, the reason the snowboarder is able to access flow within snowboarding, the reason the entrepreneur is able to access flow within a startup is because those activities are rich in what are called flow triggers. And these are, these are psychological and environmental preconditions that result in us being driven into a flow state. And there are lots of different triggers. There's about 20 different flow triggers. To give some examples, novelty, complexity, unpredictability, they're all things that are present in snowboarding, uh, risk, high consequences, having a well-aligned challenge to skills balance, meaning that the, the challenge of what you're doing just slightly outstrips your current skill level so that you're not overly challenged and excessively stimulated into a state of anxiety, but you're not under-challenged and under-stimulated into a state of boredom, but you're at that sweet spot of perfect stimulation and the perfect level between challenge and skills where you're able to access flow. That's another example of a trigger that definitely often shows up within entrepreneurship because our skill develops as entrepreneurs day to day. And as a result of that, what we're aiming for and pushing for as far as goals in the business tends to develop ideally, you know, roughly accordingly. So that's, that's the, re the reason that those activities and those people tend to seem flowy or high flows because of the fact that they're engaged in activities that are rich in flow triggers. But when we understand what the flow triggers are, we can actually pull them out of activities and separate them from activities and then intentionally implement them within an environment that we're in that is not necessarily seen as or thought of as high flow or within just our own daily routine that you know beforehand was not intentionally high flow so my advice would be in general to attempt to build flow triggers in in two ways and this is generally the breakdown that i give for organizations is that you can you can do it top down and you can do it bottom up and ideally you do both bottom up means each individual in the organization having the practices, the habits, the protocols, the mindset needed for them as individuals to access flow consistently. Top down means creating an environment and a set of practices and policies down to very detailed things like the level of autonomy that you are going to provide people with when they're kicking off a project, for example, that is facilitative of flow. So we want the, we want the top down structure and environment that they're operating in to be 
flow friendly, so to speak. And then we want the individuals in a bottom up sense to be on top of their own peak performance and doing the things that are going to drive them into flow as individuals. One of the nice examples I always like from a top down perspective is Netflix and uh, Reed Hastings wrote a great book called No Rules Rules. And in that book, he talks about leading with context. So he delegates not even just outcomes, but more broadly than outcomes. He just delegates context. So he doesn't even necessarily say what the outcome he wants is. And he definitely doesn't say um, or, or delegate the process or the, the means to achieving that outcome. He educates his employees and his, his partners um, at Netflix on the context and gives them the autonomy to determine what the outcome needed is for the business. And then also, of course, the autonomy needed to figure out how to best achieve that outcome. So that's a nice example of, you know, very flow friendly environment from a top down perspective. That's great. I love it. And thanks for going through that spectrum. I think we tend to think of flow as the snowboarder, but it can be in, you know, an environment, corporate environment, if you set the, the right conditions, either top down or bottom up or, or both ways to enable that. Rian, I'd love to end with with one question because I'm a super fan around your work, your company, what you do, and, and also the, the training that I'm going through. But I'd love to know from a personal perspective, because of all the work that you've done, you know, to this point, what's your infinite game? What's what's your why? What drives you? Yeah, it's a great it's a great question. Uh, so I think what at the moment, at least what drives me is fun, which is a is in some ways a, a weird answer. People often have very el- elaborate explanations for their drive, but I think if I'm if I'm honest, the thing that drives me the most is is fun. And another way to put fun is probably flow. You know, the time spent in in flow, and I, I find flow very much so within entrepreneurship and within building our company. And I find it just incredibly enjoyable. Uh, I prefer often the the fun and the flow that comes from building and collaborating and solving problems than I do doing other activities that may be considered leisure activities. So that's definitely that's definitely one piece. And in terms of our, our breakdown on intrinsic motivation, you could probably refer to that as passion. But then there is also, of course, the purpose side of things. We are very lucky in that we constantly have clients telling us how much their lives have been changed as a result of the interventions that we that we help them implement so that's a big piece and then the other piece is curiosity i'm endlessly fascinated with optimal performance with with how our brains work and how they can they can work better and then just to run through the the list of intrinsic motivators here autonomy for me personally at least is is extremely high is 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 as really as high as it as it could be because of the fact that we're bootstrapped so i have no no suppression of autonomy or impingement um, of autonomy from investors. And then Steve and my partner's amazing in terms of, of autonomy as well. We both give each other extreme latitude and breathing room. And then the final piece um, would also be mastery. You know, you can endlessly improve as a, a business person and as an entrepreneur. And, and I find the, the kind of game of, of trying to improve in that sense, just very, very compelling and engaging at least now. So, so the simple answer is fun. And the, the on-brand answer is the, those five intrinsic motivators, thankfully for me, are all at a very high level each. And I'm lucky yeah. in that respect. I love it. And, and Rian, I couldn't thank you enough for being on the, the Thinking Edge today. And 
really appreciate the change that you're bringing to the world and, and really having us all reimagine not only fun, but also how do we get in our highest flow state and become, you know, whether it's a, your craft of snowboarding or, or becoming that, that corporate athlete, it certainly changed me and my team. So I appreciate and I'm grateful for everything that you've done. So thank you. My, my pleasure, Ed. I appreciate it. Thank you very, very much for having me on. And um, just prop, props to you for all the, the amazing work that you're doing. I know you're creating ultra high flow environments in this startup space and within that ecosystem. So yeah, major props there also. Thanks, Ryan.